0: What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 47 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about this New York Mets marathon of a series against the Washington Nationals. Five games. This is very reminiscent of what the minor league season's looking like this year. Five game series are hell. Five game series are not fun. It's too much against the same team. And it showed in this series against the Mets and the Nationals because every single game just went a little bit too long. There was blown saves all over the place. There was a run scored in extra innings. It was a pretty sloppy series, I feel like, in terms of the fact that nobody won a game very cleanly. It was all just kind of back and forth, a lot of fighting. Entertaining, I guess, if you're a Washington Nationals fan, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Mets kind of split this series, three wins, two losses. Disappointing if you're a Mets fan. I think if you're a Mets fan, we all knew that you had to at least win four here And there were four very winnable games. We'll talk about what happened at the end of the series, of course. Before we do get going into that, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at up. We're all over the place on the social media. We're posting TikToks now. We're hip. We're cool. We're like Steve Buscemi in that gif. What's up, my fellow youths? We're very cool. We're using the TikTok. Also, if you want some more video content, YouTube channel. You'll be able to see the full version of this podcast in video form. YouTube, just search up Mets Up Podcast. You'll be able to find us there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, you will be able to find us. James, how are you feeling after this national series?
1: Bad? Yeah. Use a really easy word. You touched on this, but this was a really sloppy series. Not a really fun one to watch, especially, like, over Labor Day weekend. You just kind of want to watch some good, clean baseball, America's pastime. And this series made a mockery of that very pastime.
0: The most frustrating thing about this series is that the bats, like, ...did somewhat come alive, and then like the pitching became a problem, and then when the pitching was good, the bats weren't scoring runs, and then when the pitching was bad, we were scoring... It was just like, nothing seemed to click this series together. It was very much like, the offense carried today, or the pitching carried today, which has kind of been the whole thing of the Mets season. Nothing has really clicked together, and it all got started in Game 1, which was... It was interesting. It was super, super interesting, to say the least... The offense stayed hot, though. Javi, big double, Conforto, RBI. I mean, both of these guys have been swinging the bat a lot well. Specifically, Javi has been really, really good. I don't think we expect him to play this well, but this is things that both of us have said. He can just turn it on like this. He can have that superstar kind of production that we've seen in these last, well, I guess since the Mets trade form, He's been or had the highest OPS and the highest WRC+, plus amongst the players that were traded from the Cubs at the deadline. So... As bad as maybe it's felt with Javi at times, he's actually been really good.
1: Yeah, quite good. And the word is, was, and will forever be juice. There's not that many players in baseball who can have short bursts of talent and production like Javi Baez. Can he sustain it over 162 games? No, certainly not. He just doesn't swing at the right pitches and kind of plays like a space cadet once in a while. Does just some things that make you think what the fuck is going on. But this game, specifically in this series, he... Did a lot with the bat. He did a lot with the glove, and this is the reason you trade for a guy like Javi Baez for the potential of being a very good player, even though it won't always be there consistently.
0: Yes, his, uh, you know, his graph of how how influential who'd be on the game. He could have a super negative impact, or he could literally win you many many baseball games. This was one of those where he helped us win games because the bat was just incredible. And then we also got some big performances this series, but especially in game one out of Kevin Pillar, who hit the hardest ball of the game with a big double for us.
1: I have some more notes that I want to share about Pillar and how he's improved as a hitter Not improved, maybe just gotten back to where he was before he cracked his face or before that guy in the Braves cracked his face, whatever his name is. He's been good. He's going to be very important for the mess down the stretch with Brandon Nimmo going down.
0: Yeah, that was a huge blow was Nimmo, of course, is going to be hitting the IL. Now, this game, he had not yet done so because this comes a little bit later in the season. No, it's just foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, but Brandon Nimmo, IL. So Kevin Pilar starting to see him hit well, which is good. Of course, it leads into more because he's going to get more playing time. Super funny moment in this game offensively. Uh, Pete Alonso with his second triple of the season because Pete Alonso's a speed demon now. I mean, mm-hmm. I-, I don't even know how that was possible. It was such a weird triple.
1: This is the one of the funniest triples I've ever seen. Expected batting average of 020. It
0: was basically because the Nationals were playing a mega shift on him, and he just found like the one spot where they weren't, and he was able to leg out a triple, which was watching Pete Alonso run three bases in, in one swing of the bat is just something you don't expect to see often. It's not pretty.
1: I'm pretty sure he has our last two triples because he broke the triple drought in San Francisco three-ish weeks ago, whenever that was now. So Pete Alonso is a triple triple machine.
0: Yeah, and he was swinging the bat well at times again this series. We've talked about it. Ebbs and flows with him. He will be hot. He will be cold. I think that's just the Pete Alonzo we're going to see right now. The ebbs and flows. He's going to be up and down. On the pitching side of this game, Rich Hill was actually like pretty
1: good. Maybe his best start or one of his best starts as a Met. I thought this was definitely his best start as a Met. This is the first time he's completed six innings as a Met, which was very important because as this series progressed, we really uh, taxed our bullpen. So him just juicing out as much as he could. On Friday night was nice, and I really think that him and Trevor Williams have been just unsung heroes for this Mets pitching staff since the trade deadline. Like we gave the Mets a lot of shit for not making a move for a great pitcher, and now last three starts seeing Jose Barrios be an absolute ace kind of makes me a little bit sick. But Rich Hill's been very, very, very important and like a very steady figure that we I didn't think that he was really going to be at the time when we trade for him. I've mentioned this the last few episodes, but he increased his slider percentage again this game, the fourth consecutive start in which he's done so, and this represented the highest percentage of sliders he's thrown in a game all season. He's a big curveball guy normally, right? Massive curveball guy. I mean, you know, Dick Mountain likes to mix in some junk here and there. He's got seven whiffs on two swings. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, especially that with the dominant uh, looper. Like, now you're becoming a pitcher who can finish six innings, something that he was not able to do this first month with the team. He only allowed four hard hit balls in six, inning, six innings. None of those were hit above 103 miles an hour. And, like, Dick fucking Mountain, dude. 406 ERA and seven starts since the trade and only getting better. This is a very good thing. BDE,
0: big dick energy for Dick Mountain.
1: He's just, like, he's given us, again, keeping us in
0: the game. This was, like you said, his best start. But even in the past when he struggled a little bit, again, close. Nothing that the Mets shouldn't be able to come back from or continue to have a lead in. This was just his best start. Six innings for Mitch Hill. Is massive and again, a little foreshadowing for the rest of the series. Here it was even bigger that we got that length out of him because we were tested,
1: definitely. And this game felt like really good at this point, but of course, our offense just completely died after the fifth inning. And we let the Nats hang around, hang around, hang around, hang around, and then shit winds up hitting the fan. But before we do talk about Diaz's first blown save of the series, I want to shout out Patrick Murphy because that guy was electric. Yeah, he looked like pretty good. I mean,
0: granted. Created player, that's, again, not a real yeah. name. That is, no. I, the Nationals, again, they are the kings of the created players with the guys that they have. They just, Sam Clay, as we've mentioned, Mason Thompson, Patrick Murphy, uh, what was the other guy, Josh Rogers, who pitched one of the games this series, like There are just dudes that they're pulling out, Riley Adams. These are just generic names, and the players are... For the most part, generic. Patrick Murphy was probably the best of those guys.
1: He had seven whiffs and five strikeouts in two innings with an electric four-seam fastball. I really liked what I saw. That's probably a reliever that the Mets are going to have to face a lot over the next like four or five years.
0: Yeah, which, take it for what it is. If, we, if, we're, if we're having trouble with the Nationals, honestly, over the next four or five years, there's bigger problems than Patrick Murphy. But, as you mentioned before we talk about Edwin Diaz' first blown save of the series, which is super discouraging to say... That Juan Soto home run against them right off the rip—that was that was a heartbreaker—and that's when you went, uh oh, we might be in trouble. And I believe was this the anniversary of the massive blown game with Kurt Suzuki? I know that happened at one point this series. I don't remember if it's game one or if it happened a little bit later in the series,
1: but I think it was this one. It was definitely in like early September because I vividly remember having a fantasy football draft the night that happened.
0: And I know it was Labor Day weekend too, because I went to one of the games this series and I ended up leaving. I was going to go to that Kurt Suzuki game, but I said, ah, I'm going to go home. I'm not going to spend an entire day in Washington until then drive back to New Jersey. I'm pretty sure this was either game one or two, which I mean, game two would then be game two and three, right? So it had to be game one.
1: Yeah, I think, sure. I believe you.
0: Yeah. Whatever it was, I think it was the two year anniversary of the just most egregious blown save in Mets history, which was, we don't need to talk more about that, but it was getting those vibes again and yeah i mean javi made an error it just wasn't clean baseball again edwin wasn't particularly on top of his game just the command which is something that showed a lot this series was not there he was not commanding his fastball he's not commanding his slider and the nationals got to him and he blew a save and it was just like oh here we go again we're we're getting gifts from these teams and we just can't capitalize
1: we've said it time and time again but you know which edwin diaz is showing up from the first pitch he throws. This is again foreshadowing, but to game five, right when he couldn't find the strike zone to lead off an inning, you know it's dead. And it's just so annoying that this, this guy is like so fickle. He can be so good and just so bad, and you can spot it instantly. You can literally tell by the first pitch he
0: throws. If he misses like, arm side with his fastball, which is usually what I feel like he throws first pitch, you mm-hmm. just go, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. The mechanics are not there. Something's not
1: right. And again, you knew it with this one with the Juan Soto home run. We were in trouble. But that home run was also just such a cheapo. It had a 190 expected batting average. It barely made it out. I also don't know how
0: Juan Soto hit it, but then you also think Juan Soto is like one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter in baseball, so like that's just what he does. He's, he's unbelievable. He, if, if you don't understand how good this guy is at this point in time, you're a lost cause because he's sick.
1: Definitely. <laughs> you're a lost cause. <laughs> right. You're a
0: lost cause. I don't, even, I don't even want to talk baseball with you if you don't think Juan Soto's sick. Uh,
1: and luckily, we did come storming in the 10th off of Austin Voth because he's bad. Austin Voth is so bad. This whole um, blown save ended up being moot. Just don't like seeing Edwin Diaz blow saves against the Nationals. No, I mean, yeah, we got some hits from Pete. We got some hits
0: from Kevin Pilar. Little Jonathan VR sighting because, of course, Jonathan VR is just the best leadoff hitter in baseball. I'm happy to say that now, which is also not true, but let's keep going with it. Best leadoff hitter in baseball. He continued it again. Print the shirts. Print the shirts. Best leadoff hitter of baseball, Jonathan VR, And luckily, the Mets were able to get the win. So that was like a positive spin to what could have been an absolute nightmare of a night on the two-year anniversary of the worst blown save in Mets history. Now, let's talk about the big day. The next day. The doubleheader day. And it was off to a fantastic start. It was off to a great start. Maybe one of the best starts the Mets have had all year long. Huge, fat lead. We jumped on Eric Fetty from the start, as we should, because Fetty Wap, he sucks. That guy stinks. I think the actual Fetty Wap would have a better chance getting New York Mets hitters out than Eric Fetty. That guy is awful, and the Mets showed it. We got VR, Nimo, Alonzo, Lindor all jumping on him early, and then the next inning, Javi buys with a leadoff home run. We got a rally, we got some bloops, we got some errors, and we're looking at a 6 nothing lead in the second inning.
1: <laughs> unbelievable Now yeah, this was a great start to the game i was at uh, the parker house down the shore during this game in Seagirt. fantastic bar they, they've become littered with Mets up stickers so if anyone else saw one this weekend that'd be pretty funny just tweet at us and it was a great moment college football was on i was drinking with friends i was doing some dancing nice little red, red Bull vodka in the middle of the afternoon and things were looking great i was having such a fun time and then past that pat maziga had a base hit made seven nothing the slowest man in major league baseball my have been sack fly, I can't remember. He had two RBIs this series. One was a single, one was a sack fly. And then Confort, the had the two-run home right after. And we were winning 9 nothing, in the fourth inning of a seven-inning game. Yeah, of a seven-inning game with Stroman on the
0: mound, who was cruising. He was in control. He got, he got a little bit of trouble, but he was finding his way out of it. And he made one of the sickest plays I've ever seen a pitcher make in all of baseball history in this
1: start, which was... I don't remember what exactly happened. There was like a ground ball up the middle. It was a ground ball to wherever... Like, Javi and VR were around the bag, I believe. I think there was a shift on I don't remember who was up. And they kind of both went for the ball, and Javi got it and flipped it to VR, who wasn't really prepared, and he kind of, like, breadbasketed it, and it went through. So then Soto was rounding second. He popped up and immediately went to third Heads because of the shift. Yeah, great play by a great player. No one was covering. And Stroman, who had ended up going down the line, I don't know why, but he, he for some He reason, was just, like—I
0: think he was just, like, down, like, oh, damn it. But he kept his yeah. head up. And he saw Soto break, and he immediately took off toward third. Javi threw—I mean, the New York Jets should look into signing Javi Baez for their quarterback right there. He he led Stroman beautifully right in his breadbasket. Jets have a quarterback now. Jets have a quarterback now. Well, let's wait until week one's been played. But yes— i believe in zach wilson uh, past that though beautiful pass beautiful pass and stroman lays out dives juan soto gets him out at third i mean that completely changed the inning in where the nationals could have built a
1: rally and he got a huge out there definitely and this was the inning after the nationals did have a rally to score three runs in the fourth they just had three straight singles that turned into three runs with a bases loaded walk which you never see marcus stroman do ever he doesn't like to walk guys in general and usually he is very—what's um, the word I'm looking for? Usually he has better command when there becomes more pressure pack situations, which was stinky. And then two sack flies. We just let guys go third and sack flies because that's what we do. Mets love to miss cutoffs. Love it. We love letting guys get to third base when there's no reason to let them get there. It's just one of our favorite things. And then he did have that great play in the, f- in the fifth inning to end it out clean. And it was a fine start for Strowman. He did the big sinker thing again, which he did last week against the Marlins. It seems like when he's playing teams— that he knows aren't as good, he will just throw the sinkers and let them pound him into the ground through infinity and just hope that there's no actual damage. He went through four straight starts with less than 40% sinkers. Now, the last two have been over that number, a number I have told you listeners out there to watch out for, because that's how you can really tell the difference between if is going to be elite or just pitch to contact. And again, facing Nationals and Marlins in these two starts, as opposed to the Giants and Dodgers and Giants and Dodgers and the ones before, so you can throw more sinkers and try to be more efficient, especially when the Mets needed length he didn't give him that length because he still worked out 100 pitches in five innings and him throwing one more inning would have had just an astronomical difference on the way the rest of this game was played but he just also felt he didn't have the feel for any of these off-speed stuff his off-speed stuff the cutter got no whiffs the slider only got one the splitter was still good but it just like wasn't a super sharp game for stroman but he made plays with the glove because he's a great baseball player and he finds other ways to help the mets win
0: yep stroman always finds a way to make an impact even if he's not on and again the reason this game got interesting is not because of Marcus Stroman. As soon as he came out, Miguel Castro came in and boom, just like that it was what 9-7. Castro technically gave up 4 runs. Didn't help that Brad Hand came in in his first Mets appearance and also gave up two hits. I mean, boom right off the bat because Brad Hand stinks. I mean, we've just known this and if there was any doubt in my mind that Brad Hand did stink, seeing this appearance would, oh yeah, he's just he's just not very good.
1: No, not good at all. Castro like wasn't good at all, but he did kind of get babbed to death. Like Lindor made an error, first of all, which kind of opened the rally up. And then Keyboom just hit like a nubber. Soto had a bloop mixed in. Our boy Andrew Stevenson, the fucking rat fuck loser, God, had I a single mixed guy. in there too. God, I hate that guy. And Brandon Nimmo got hurt during all this madness, which was also not fun.
0: No, not fun either. That was another like just a little, little kick in the pants right there. Nimmo hurt, Mets are choking the lead. Castro stunk,
1: Brad Hand really stunk, and it's all of a sudden a ball game. Big time ball game. Nimmo also, we mentioned Confort though showing a lot of emotion these last few weeks when things have been happening. He showed a lot of emotion when he got injured. He was beside himself. He did he was like, I don't want to come out of this game,
0: but I know I have to because 'cause I'm in some serious pain here. He was pacing in the dugout. Keith was getting upset seeing him be so upset. Keith was like, Oh, jeez, man, like when's it gonna stop? Like he was like so beside himself that Brandon Nimmo, who is at times
1: the lifeblood of this team, couldn't be out on the field. He's just injury prone he can't shake that tag and there's no really way to tell if a guy will continue to be injury prone because once upon a time Trey Turner was injury prone and now he's like plays the most in the MLB over the last three years so these things can change quickly but you just hope that Brandon Nimmo is receptive to all of the uh, modern training uh, types and technologies that the Mets have because we know that there are some things that he resists in terms of like medical science and it would be just the wildest story in the world if you found out, like, Brandon Nimmo doesn't hydrate it, like he doesn't stretch or some shit.
0: I mean, that kind of goes back to what our, you know, former GM said. I don't know if what we call Zach Scott, but talking about how there's just players who just refuse yeah, to listen to the nutrition. And the hamstring and these soft tissue
1: injuries kind of all fit into that narrative. Definitely, especially when Three of the guys who've had soft tissue injuries this year repeatedly are three of the guys who we know have not gotten the COVID vaccine. Yes, not that injuries
0: are related to the vaccine, but that... Of course, it's just a weird, it's a weird line to draw there. Yes, weird line to draw, modern medicine, not agreeing with it, whatever. And then we get to the bottom of the seventh inning, because of course, doubleheader. So this is the ninth inning, and we go Lugo because Diaz blew the save the other day, threw a bunch of pitches, wasn't ready to go, and he'd been pitching a lot recently. A lot of close wins. So we went to Lugo, and Lugo has been good all year, and I got a little heated when he blew this one here because, uh, spoiler, Seth Lugo blew the game. He gave up a two-run home run to the newest member of the Rat Fuck Army or whatever he is, Andrew Stevenson, who is a certified bum outside of playing the New York Mets. I mean, that guy... Would not even be the fourth or fifth outfielder on this team. Albert Almora gets picked over Andrew Stevenson. That doesn't. That says a lot about his quality of play. But boy, when he plays the Mets, does he remember how to play baseball? Because he was an LSU guy. Like he he had talent in college. Clearly the Major League level, it just doesn't translate, but he goes up against that orange and blue, and he turns into fucking Superman.
1: It's been, like, a few weeks since we anointed a new member of the Rat Fuck Society, so I'm happy that we're back on this train.
0: And we've both talked about Andrew Stevenson as, like, we hate this guy,
1: but he yes. really hadn't, like,
0: stabbed it in us and then twisted and then kind of, like, shook it around a little bit. Like, he yeah, was yeah, making yeah. mince meat with
1: our intestines in there. Oh, 100%. He had, like, three different switchblades. He had a third arm that popped out of his ribcage, and he was yeah. just destroying our insides. He, for his career has a 687 OPS. Against the Mets, it's 937. That's
0: so insane. That's How could this be? Fifty points.
1: And he has the most at-bats against the Mets in any other team in the league.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Nationals, no. David Martinez, that's a classic, like, old-school manager kind of thing where it's like, this guy plays well against the Mets. There's no reason to him. it, but he kills him, and he did it again. He had a two-run home run on... Let's talk about this, too. Lugo, one-two count, goes to his freaking change-up. I don't Terrible. understand that pitch call. I don't understand... His curveball is clearly his best pitch by far. It's not even close. I don't get the changeup call.
1: And he did that the other night, the uh, Tuesday night game against the Marlins, where he would, I forgot, it was Isan Diaz. One of the bad hitters was up that he was just rolling through after a couple guys got on. And he was really reluctant to go to the curveball with two strikes. He threw a changeup, a fastball and a slider before he went with the hook. It doesn't make sense. I know it's a left-handed batter, but, like, your curveball is so good that it, you don't have to worry about that left-hand, right-hand
0: thing. Also, your curveball's a 12-6. It's a very, very, like, traditional 12-6 to 6 break. It doesn't matter if you're left or you're It is going to be nasty the same way to either of those guys. I could not for the life of me understand a one-two changeup. Did not get it. You went with your, like, fourth pitch against Andrew Stevenson. I know he's not good, but get the out. Who cares?
1: Devil's advocate. When you're a left-handed batter and you're facing a righty and they do throw a curveball, like, theoretically, you'll probably see that better out of the hand. Yes. So it's more of a chance to sit on one. But this is Andrew fucking Stevenson. We're not worried. This isn't Juan Soto. Like, get him out. Why are we being cute? Yeah, there's no one we should be cute again. I know he's been
0: great against us, but I think part of the reason why is because we just try to, like, outsmart Andrew Stevenson it makes no sense to me I was furious I had some hot takes of Lugo's a bum he's washed I take those all back you were pissed my day was ruined. My day was ruined. We went from nine nothing to extra innings in that stupid little shit Andrew Stevenson, the one to tie it up. I was so mad. I was pacing around the apartment. I stopped watching. I didn't I didn't even get to celebrate what happened in the extra innings because I was so mad and said, "We still have to win this game." I, I my day was
1: ruined. I was just in such a bad mood. It was also a gut punch going from blowing this game in the 7th to getting no runs in the first extra inning. I know. That's the other crazy thing too is that this team like
0: it appeared like they just laid down going into that eighth inning. Luckily, we got out of it. Big gutsy performance there by the Mets' bullpen, and we go to the ninth inning. And this is where the Mets' bats re-came alive, I guess you could say.
1: Lindor, two-run home run. Huge. Absolutely massive. Massive. Called this hot streak. Called the shit out of this hot streak. He Called had such a fantastic series. Also, you said big shout-out to the Mets' bullpen. We want to shout-out specifically Trevor May for getting out of that eighth inning because he pitched a hell of an inning after... We didn't get a base runner in the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, or an eighth. Besides the automatic runner, who was Pat Mizeko, it's just a slap in the face that Pat is the automatic runner. And May did get into a little bit of trouble, which he he likes to make it a little interesting yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But he got out of it; he was good, definitely, and good shit. And then Heath Henry shut it down because, of course, he did.
0: Yep. But that Lindor home run was huge. It seems like this is the bat, at bat that you're going to look back on on the Francisco Lindor season and be like, "He's back," because he really did swing the bat very, very well this season, uh, this series. Home runs, doubles, he was hitting the ball all over the yard, just like we saw in my against Miami in New York a little bit, except this time it was falling. Huge home run from him. Again, I didn't get to celebrate it because I was in just such a bad mood. I, again, ruined, day ruined. Call me a baby, call me whatever you want, but I was just beside myself. I could have thrown up how sick I was that the Mets blew this game, but they won it. 11-9, wasn't pretty. Heath Hembree, again, I, I really don't want to watch this guy pitch too often because he's a human rain delay and he just puts my stomach in knots, but he got the job done, Mets win, going into the second game of the doubleheader now with a nice, you know, two games in a row against the Washington Nationals. We're looking good, we're feeling good, we got a chance to win the series right here on Saturday with the sweep of the doubleheader, and uh, we punted, we punted big time in game three, no Lindor or Javi. I, I hated it, how'd you feel about it?
1: I hated the shit out of it, shout out Jim Trestle, king of the punts, but especially after the way both those guys played in game one, especially with Lindor hitting The go-ahead home run, like, less than an hour before this lineup, a half hour before this lineup dropped, it was brutal. I do still understand giving Lindor, like, one out of every four games off, but fuck, that hurt like hell. But, like, why bench Javi in the same game? Why not alternate them so one of them can play shortstop? I don't get that. It's also, like, we were, at the time, I think it
0: was game 132 of 162, like, there was legitimately 30 games left or 29 games left in the season. There's just no time. There's no time to play around. There's no time to play around. Time's running thin. Time's running out. And especially against a team that, like... These are easy wins. They should be easy wins. This is the bottom feeder. You can't just give away games to the Nationals. When the Braves were playing some tough games against the Rockies, when the Phillies were going up against the Marlins, who are their kryptonite, we had opportunity to make up more ground here, and we punted. I just, we don't go for the throat ever, this Mets team. That's kind of how I felt all year long. We don't go for the throat.
1: Uh, The devil's advocate argument against that is that if Lindor does re-aggravate this oblique issue, the season's over. Yes. Like, his season and the Mets' season, you can't really risk that. Like, maybe if there's 10 games left, he's not sitting anymore. But with 30 games left, to lose Francisco Lindor, the way he's swinging the bat right now, would be just a, a shot to the heart. Again, I don't have a problem benching him specifically. He should be on a very strict regimen coming off an oblique injury because they're very serious, they're very easy to re-aggravate, and they will, again end his season if it ever happens again. Especially when it looks like he might have been dealing with something like this for a very long time before it actually flared up, based on the way he hit then versus the way he's hitting now, based on the way he's rotating.
0: The bat speed is through the roof now. Even Keith and Ron have been, like, gushing over. They're like, his bat speed is so back. Like, he is swinging the bat like we saw in spring training when he was crushing those whole runs.
1: Oh yeah, it's all in the hips, baby. It's all in the hips. I just don't like the fact that Javi also sat. If you know you're baking in this game as the rest game for Francisco Lindor... Just to them. And Rojas says because they played nine innings in the first game. Those two innings really make that much of a difference here. They were gonna play a combined nine innings at some point in these two games. So I don't know why, like up
0: nine and one, that's never been done before. Please can't play him anymore. I I, I hated it. I hated it. I don't think it's Rojas making the call again. I think that's very much, especially like with like this this rest thing, I think that's very much coming from the higher ups. 100%. I hate seeing people blame Rojas for it, but I understand that people are just not going to underst- start- get it through their head that Rojas doesn't have any decision on lineups.
1: Yeah, and these two also, this is like nitpicking, they're just like not very good pinch hitters. They have too much energy. Every single time they've come up as a pinch hitter this year, it's been like bad looking at bets. And it was again in this game.
0: Yeah, which we'll, we'll get to there. Let's talk about what actually happened in this game, though. The start of the game was nice because the best leadoff hitter in baseball, Jonathan VR, gets on immediately, and then Michael
1: Conforto hits him in. We score a run in the first inning. It was beautiful, definitely, and it was a massive sigh of relief after the way that we blew Game One to start this game and just be very, very like good and comfortable and strong and aggressive. Even after VR had like such a nice, crafty eight pitch walk because he's the best leadoff hitter in baseball, and he has. Seems like he's just going to absorb Brandon Nimmo's powers now that he's injured. Yeah, he's like a dude who had never been
0: patient really in his career, but for some reason with the New York Mets in the leadoff spot, Caballo Loco, he calms down and he gets in the zone and he just plays on another level. Great start to the game. Immediately washed away. Immediately washed away. Tyler McGill was a little bit off, and that came with a Lane Thomas home run to deep center field. He crushed it.
1: This is one of the funniest calls of my life. I said this guy was like pretty good, underrated, and he dominated us this series. He did. He's just...
0: Home runs, that's all he does against the Mets. Is home he's a good runs. athlete. He, he is a good athlete. He's a strong kid, came from the Cardinals organization. Um, Just too, not enough room there for him. So
1: I mean, just based on an outfielder leaving the Cardinals, it's almost guaranteed he's going to be a superstar.
0: Yeah, Randy Rosarena, Adolis Garcia. Maybe Lane Thomas gets added to that list. I pray to God he doesn't, but he got the Nationals on the board right away to tie it up 1-1. And then Carter Keyboom later that inning hits a sharp single, scores a run, and the Mets are in a hole after you're like, okay, maybe this is a positive start here after a shit show of a game one. Mets came out swinging again. We got McGill on the mound, and uh, just like that, we're losing.
1: Also, to end the first inning, we had first and third with nobody out, and J.D., Pillar, and McNeil all successfully didn't get anybody home, which was fun because we do that all the time still. What is a risk? Yeah, still know what a is. Never heard of a risk. And you gave McGill some shit, but he actually did settle down really nicely from, like, the end of the first to the fourth. He looked, he retired nine in a row at one point, And then there was like a dinky single, but I think it might've been key boom. Cause he now just gets singles all the time. Apparently yep, it's a fun thing. And he was a race with dull play, and He got a one, two, three inning again, the next inning. So he was fine for a while. And this was the first time that I've watched him pitch this year and look at that slider and been like, Oh, that could be something that's really good. That's something that was supposed to be really good this entire time. He got six whiffs on it in 11 swings, which is just super hot fire. Pure fuego. He also trusted the off-speeds a lot more, something I've said time and time again for the way that Tyler McGill can adjust to the league adjusting to him, and possibly take his game to the next level before an off-season of hopefully further development. First time all year, he's thrown the slider and the changeup, each of them, over 50, uh, 20% of the time. Fastball also dropped down into the 50 percentages as opposed to the 16 70 percentages, which is massive, 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 but the whole that thing was ruined with uh, Alcides Escobar's home run off the 5th inning, which... Was on a fastball that was right down the middle.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, one, you can't give up a hit to Alcides Escobar. That guy stinks. He's awful. He's. I can't believe he's even in Major League Baseball still. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know where he came from. He disappeared, like, kind of after that World Series as he should have because he's just not a good baseball player. He's not a good fielder. He's not a good hitter. There's not much there. He's the classic, like, old school, you love him. He doesn't strike out. He gives you a, a tough at bat. But, like, nowadays, we know that means absolutely nothing. But of course, because he's a Met killer, he hits a home run here and gives him a 4-1 lead off of that fastball. Like you said, right down the cock of the plate, and the Mets are looking at a 4-1 deficit. And that's kind of just the story of the game. We got a home run for Pilar in the sixth inning off Josh Rogers. Josh Rogers, is that his name? Jake? Johnson? I, I don't know. What is he? Let me look it up. Josh Rogers. Yeah, I mean, he's so unimpressive. He's the Mets kryptonite, soft tossing lefty. We couldn't score more than three runs off of Josh Rogers, Andres Machado, and Kyle Finnegan. None of those guys are very good. We had four hits in total this game. A lot of people on Twitter were coming at McGill that, you know, he couldn't give us a better start against the lowly Washington Nationals. The bigger story here is four hits against Josh Rogers, Andres Machado, and Kyle Finnegan. The Mets have a serious problem against guys who throw 88. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. The Mets also had two hits in the first inning. Yeah, so we had two hits the rest of the game, and one of them was Kevin Pillar's solo shot. Or two-run, two-run home run. Two-run
1: shots, two-run shots. Second time in this series that Kevin Pillar had the hardest hit ball of the game, which is just really hilarious. It shouldn't really be happening. I mean, they're both over 110. Like, there's not—they aren't soft hits. Like, he was smoking the ball. His hard hit rate has been soaring over the last two weeks. Maybe he's just swinging the bat
0: harder now. Maybe he's like, screw it. If I'm gonna hit 640 the way I'm doing it now, let's just go up there and swing as hard as we can, which we've seen has worked with guys in the past, including one of his former teammates or two of them, Josh Donaldson and
1: Jose Bautista, who both made that adjustment. Just swing hard. Just swing hard. Seems easy, but. This is not the story here. The story is that we just laid over and died, basically, yeah. the last three innings. Just had no interest in winning this
0: game. Super, super horrible performance by the Mets after what was a really up-and-down Game 2, really up-and-down Game 1. Losing this game just felt like a little bit of the icing on the cake, getting ready for like what was going to be just a really disappointing series. Not good, not good. We had a chance to take three in a row from the Nationals, three very winnable games, and we blew
1: one where Josh Rogers started. I, I can't get over that that guy beat us. He's just not good. No, definitely not. And when Game Four was beginning on Sunday, there I had a feeling myself that the Mets like had to respond, like they had to rebound very early, and they did. Jumped out again to a first inning run because we did every game, and Jonathan VR just loves getting on base, only thing he knows how to do, and we were all over Josiah Gray for four runs before, like, you could even blink.
0: Well, it's because Josiah Gray, he's a good pitcher. He's got good stuff. The Mets are like, let's hit the guy who throws hard and has some good movement on his pitches. Josh Rogers, Kyle Finnegan, Andres Andres Machado, no thank you, not interested. Sean
1: Nolan, oh, don't even star me with Sean Nolan. Andres Machado might be the fakest name on this team.
0: That's just like, again, like, that's a generic name that MLB The Show gives to, like, the two, like, Spanish, Latin descent guys are that are on the draft class or whatever. It's frustrating, but... Again, like you said, we got off to a hot start this game. Conforto, two RBI single, scored Lindor, scored uh, Jonathan VR. Then Javi Baez got a single. We were stringing hits together. Jeff McNeil, sacrifice fly. Four-nothing lead in the first. And again, things were looking great. And who do you know stepped up to the blade in the bottom of the first. Friggin' Lane Thomason hit his third home run of the year. And I believe it's also the third home run against the New York Mets this year. I think he's only hit home runs against us. And we're like, uh. Uh, this isn't good, and then I'll see as Escobar gets on, and Josh Bell hits a home run, and you go, oh, it's, it's, it's 4-3. There it goes. Taiwan was not sharp.
1: I really have to stop saying things out loud about the Mets, which is a conundrum because we do this podcast together, and that's like most of my Twitter persona, but... I said Lane Thomas was good, and he annihilated us. I said Josh Bell's been swinging the bat better, and he was all over us this series. He had a great performance this weekend. And even I forgot to mention this, but in the middle of Game One on Saturday, I tweeted the Mets are back with like the Gary Cohen uh, gift from the walk off win on Tuesday, <laughs> and the, the Mets gave up nine runs in three innings after that tweet, and Brandon Nimmo got hurt.
0: Yeah, I mean you're the, you're somehow. Every other team wants you to talk about them. Every 100%. other team. The Mets are like, please, James Sciano, keep your thoughts to yourself. I got to just shut the fuck up sometimes. You just got to tweet out stats. That's your thing. You just got to tweet out factual information. No opinion. <laughs> Never. I think that's what it is, though. But like you, you, Lane Thomas, like factually, like there is something there. And Josh Bell factually has been swinging the bat better. So I think we might have found it. Just stick to the actual true information lock the key throw it away. throw it away so yeah four three just like that because again uh taiwan was not sharp and was not sharp the entire game but let's keep talking about the offense here because we responded immediately in the second and the third inning we got a home run for jonathan vr because again he is the best player on planet earth he's the best player to ever wear the new york mets uniform the orange and blue it's jonathan vr shout out our boy ernie and then javi Baez in the third inning a home run made it six three so you're like okay the Mets, this this is what they should be doing to bad teams. This is like, it's coming together. They're playing as a team. They're hitting when we need it. They're pitching when we need it. Here we go. This might be the turning point. And then Taiwan's like, hold on. I have some more runs to give up.
1: I do want to mention that it's hilarious that this was basically exactly seven days, almost to the minute that we were giving shit to Javier Baez because he started booing the fans. And Mets Twitter went from wanting him literally to be DFA'd to willing to offer him $200 million in legitimately seven days.
0: And honestly, in those seven days, he has turned his season around quite a bit. Like, he was having, like, an average offensive impact before these seven days, and then after the booing incident, he's been playing like a madman. He's been playing, like we said again, that, like, superstar potential that everyone talks about with him. Yeah,
1: and I'm happy we have him for that. But like you were leading in, we do have to talk about Taiwan because he just had another weird game, which has been the absolute story of his second half. Literally ever since he gave up that stupid home run to Mike Zunino in the All-Star game. Probably an event that he never should have been a part of because I wish he would have had a couple more days of rest. The arm, I don't want to say it shot because the velocity was still decent. It wasn't like last game where he was just throwing super fucking hard, which was cool, but, like, wh- why is he throwing 60% fastballs right now between his four-seamer and his two-seamer? I can't wrap my head around it. You don't know such- why?
0: Why? I think because that's a pitch that he's thinking he can rely on his velocity to get him by with things, and that if his command is off just a little bit that he can get away with it because he is thrown like in the mid nineties. I feel like because his command has clearly taken a toll or a dip in what's happened from the beginning of the season of now, I think there's no doubt in that he's throwing less of those breaking pitches because he just doesn't have the feel for them. He just doesn't have the control and he's worried about leaving a hanger up there.
1: And I guess that could be true, but the two seamer is the one that ended up getting hit hard. The Soto uh, single in the fifth that basically chased Taiwan and brought the nationals back in this game. It was just a two-seamer right down the dick that he smoked. And the four-seamer was good. He had eight called strikes, and just one of them was put in play, which that's pretty fucking rare for a four-seam fastball to only one be put in play. There are only six foul balls, and he wasn't even missing bats with whiffs. He was just very good using it to keep the Nationals off balance and kind of dotting it up a lot of the time. Just, I don't know why this change has happened. I would love to hear someone ask him or talk to him about where this trade-off has come between four-seam fastballs and two-seam fastballs over the last six-plus weeks.
0: This is why the Mets need to get us asking the questions after the game because this is what we would want to know. Like, hey, uh, Taiwan, how'd you feel out there? Stupid question. Uh, That's a dumb question. That's the question that's asked every single day. Hey, Taiwan, why are you throwing more two-seamers than four-seamers? What's the reason behind that? That's a great yeah. question. That is great showing question. that you're watching the game, that you're paying attention to what's going on, and you have a question about the approach that he's taking. That gives great insight, not, hey, Taiwan, uh, you happy with your performance today after you gave up five runs? Like, I, what a dumb, stupid question that all, every single
1: reporter loves to ask. Yeah, loves to that. ask. That's, that's like the Michael Barron specialty. <laughs> How'd you feel out there? Or Mike Puma. You... What went on? Whoa, in that what fifth was going inning? On in your head yeah it's great good leading questions from real from top-notch journalists now we
0: did get some more runs though you're done with
1: Taiwan right I mean there's
0: just not a lot to talk about good That was today. yeah that was that was the whole
1: spiel it's just yeah weird
0: Pat mazika sack fly in the eighth inning made 7-6. Okay, that, that was the which... sack
1: fly yeah the fabled sack fly
0: which also, like, I don't know the last time Pat Mazzica, but Like, I don't remember how many times he hits fly balls. That's just not something he does often, especially with, like, the depth to get a sacrifice fly. But he gave us the lead there in the 8th inning, 7-6, and then the ninth inning came around, and this is where the Mets bats woke up. This was so nice to see. It was fantastic because they jumped all over the awful pitcher that is Austin Voth, so much so that Keith Hernandez... this This is prime Keith when he starts doing this. He saw Austin Voth come in the game. He's like, "Oh, Voth, having a tough couple days here. Let's see how he performs." Six runs, didn't even get an out. He just got absolutely shelled. And Keith goes, "Man, I know it's September, but this is a kind of performance that gets you run out of town." And I was like, "Keith, <laughs> talk about the guy's job here. I mean, yeah, he stinks, but this is a last place Nationals team. Let's pump the brakes. Like, this guy has a family."
1: <laughs> That's pretty fucking funny. Lindor hit the home run, Spoken Hot, as we've mentioned, and Pilar dropped that big grand slam that really made me feel comfortable because going into this inning, I was like, we need three runs. We can't be winning by one. I really would not like to be winning by two. I need at least three. Kevin Pillar just made it nice with seven. He didn't have the hardest hit ball of this game because Pete Alonso put three in play over 111 and Juan Soto put one also about 112, but this was the longest hit ball of the game. So Kevin Pillar, offensive juggernaut, dominating the series. He's hit three of the six hardest balls of the season in this national series. And this is great. He's just smoking the ball over the last few weeks. And now we're really, 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 really going to need him with Brandon Nemo being possibly done for the year.
0: Yeah, if he's playing like this, uh, the Kevin Pillar slander will cease to exist because he's playing like a very capable major league player, something we hadn't seen all year.
1: No, something we hadn't seen for a very long time. I think a lot of it was probably comfortability with his broken face.
0: Oh, definitely. I think that it's it's hard mentally, I feel like, to come back from like your face actually being
1: just brutally destroyed and it's even impressive that he has um done it so quickly you know yeah no responding in two and a half three months from a broken face is wildly impressive
0: no a, he, dude he's a warrior there's no doubt we said from the beginning like the dude is tough he wants to be there. He puts 125% into every single play. It's just he wasn't good to start the year. But he's playing like this. Kevin Pilar, you can play center field for us anytime you want if you're going to hit grand slams and doubles and triples like
1: this all day. If you're hitting the ball 110 miles an hour, you could do anything you want, Kevin Pilar. Yes. I really don't care.
0: Yes, and then to end this game, Yancy Diaz came in and shut the door. Yancy, I love seeing him get more innings. He's, he's good. He's got some stuff,
1: man. You've been talking about him all year. We like Yancy here. Yeah, love Yancy. Got good command of the fastball. Changeup is nice. He's a piece, and he's going to have options for for the foreseeable future. So he'll be a very valuable member of the Mets. I'll call him like the taxi squad for probably at least for next year as long as those rules don't change.
0: And this gave us the series win. 3-1 in the series right now going into our Labor Day matchup with the Nationals, game 5 of again this absolute marathon in DC, which was again just sort of hellish. It was it was pretty sloppy as we said at the beginning. And we had a decent matchup here. I mean, Trevor Williams, while he isn't great, you mentioned it earlier, has been somewhat of a savior this year just because he's been able to come in and give us some good enough innings and be good enough for us to keep us in games. And we're going up against Patrick Corbin, who stinks. He's bad. He's not very good this year.
1: He's been better since like a really horrific April and May. He's still not very good. And I would say the offense's performance was incredibly disappointing after another hot first inning because that's all the Mets now do after not doing it for literally months.
0: Yeah, Pete Alonso scored an early run for us, which was nice. Some really good hitting. A lot of singles, though. This is the story of this game. Today was the game of singles. The Mets had 12 hits on the day. They scored three runs. And I mean, those runs came from the Pete Alonso single. Jeff McNeil grounded into a double play. So that's not even an RBI. And then Pete Alonso hit a home run the rest of it was super unimpressive like we got doubles couldn't get the runners in I think we were again like one for 10 or one for 12 with runners in scoring position in this game just absolutely no timely no clutch hitting and it's a killer you can't get 12 hits and score three runs you just can't win many games scoring three runs it's major league baseball the average team scores four a game so you should lose those games when you
1: score three definitely and while we're giving the offense shit, I just want to shout out Lindor because, again, the guy's smoking hot, man on fire, scalding. Four hard hit balls today. Two of them were over 110 miles an hour. I think he did wind up with two or three hits, correct?
0: Uh, he went two for five. We, I mean, like, let's just go through the box score real quick because there were hits all around the place, like we said. But, again, just we couldn't get the big runs that we needed. Lindor two for five with a run scored as well. We had Alonzo two for four. Javi Baez two for four. Kevin Pillar two for three. McNeil one for four. McCann one for four. Trevor Williams one for two. Like it was all over the place. I just mentioned the pitcher. I didn't even
1: realize that. But
0: everyone was hidden. It's just not when we needed it.
1: Definitely. But luckily Trevor Williams is just old school king. He goes out there and throws pitches down the middle like Warren Spahn, and just every single one finds a glove. It's such a pleasure. Not I won't say it's a pleasure to watch him, but it's very uh I don't know. I was gushing over Trevor Williams today. I got nothing but good things to say.
0: I mean, we shouldn't say that. Every single thing finds a glove. I mean, he still did give up 10 hits in five innings,
1: along hey, with two hey. walks. Did what he had to do, bro. He was ripping 70% fastballs at 92 miles an hour, and it's just doing his thing. He's got the options. He's been a good piece. He's good depth. He throws meaningful innings. He can step in against a doubleheader against the Nationals. Step in for a doubleheader against the Marlins. Anything that Trevor Williams has to do against bad teams, I'm here for.
0: I like it. That's complete. Th- uh, One eighty. One eighty. Is that what you'd say? Three sixty. Complete turnaround of what you thought 360 about Trevor would Williams.
1: Put you into the exact same spot. I'm still do okay. like Trevor Williams as a pitcher, but I kind of like the change of pace of like I'm old school. I'm it throwing was- down the middle. I want to see if you can hit it. He's gritty. He's got grit. Bill Belichick would be a big Trevor Williams fan. Oh, Trevor Williams could definitely be the, like the move tight end in the Bill Belichick offense.
0: <sighs> Let's talk about the bad stuff now, because it, it was you know good performance out of Familia, which was nice. Brad Hand came in, didn't give up a run, so that's great. Even awesome. Lugo. Really good, coming off of a, a
1: tough outing. He was fine. I wouldn't say Lugo was super sharp. The Nationals got close to scoring a run. Javi made an incredible game-saving at the time play up the middle.
0: Yeah, it, it was a sick play. I did forget about that. Again, everything's
1: mush here because five-game series. But definitely. And there was some mush with the bats also in these innings that I want to talk about. McNeil, you referenced it before, had a very big opportunity with after Baez and Pilar had back-to-back singles in the fourth inning. Grounded to a double play, he just seems to be very lost at the plate. He hasn't hit a ball hard in what seems like months.
0: I did some deep dive, some deep digging last night with my dad. Because my dad's like, he's like, something's got to be wrong with McNeil. And he just knows I got in McNeil's ear the one time, earlier in the season, when I saw the stuff with his uh, batting stance and his swing. And he even told me, you're the only one who noticed it. So I was like, let's do some digging. Let's take a look at what's going on with Jeff McNeil's swings. I was comparing 2019 to 2021. I was looking at 2021 swings. His mechanics are so fucked up. It's unbelievable. His hands are out away from his body, close into his body. He's double loading, where if you guys don't know what that means, essentially, you go back for your load when you're getting ready for the pitch, and then he's doing it again when he's getting ready to swing, which is causing him to be late and tardy on balls because he's basically kind of wrapping his hands behind his head and the bat around his head, so much so... This is a thing that we saw Travis Darno have issues with while he was in New York Met, which is why you see so many foul balls back to the screen or so many foul balls... Going the other way from Jeff McNeil, he's just not getting around the baseball like he used to. He was never a pull hitter, but you know when McNeil's going well is when he's hitting those doubles down the right field line. That's when you know he's pretty locked in. We haven't seen that recently. His mechanics are all over the place. I'd love to see him clean it up, but I I don't even know if he knows that he's doing this. I think he's just so much in a mental funk right now with how he's hitting that he's trying to do anything. And unfortunately, it seems like it's kind of making it worse. I I don't know. He's just got to get back to the basics, get up there, be short, compact to the ball. He's just not doing that right now.
1: A nice consolation prize was he played a very good left field today.
0: He did. He made a sick play in the seventh inning that we thought, or seventh inning,
1: ninth inning, that we thought would save the game. He also made a nice play earlier in the game in the gap. And there were a lot of people... On Twitter, who were giving the Mets shit because J.D. Davis didn't play, and it's very well documented how good he is against Patrick Corbett. Got a hit today in his pinch hit. He did. the has to speak for themselves. So I want to ask you what you thought of that decision. I play J.D. Davis. I play him in left field. Are you serious?
0: Yeah, and I know that this is a weird take, and I, know, I, I completely stand with the other side. I don't think that there is a wrong answer here. Because the Mets are in such a weird spot where, yes, the offense had been hitting and we did get 12 hits today, but we need that extra juice with the bat. And J.D. Davis like literally owns Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin is just in debt to J.D. Davis. I don't know what he did, but J.D. Davis owns him. He just absolutely dominates him. You got to have that bat in the lineup somewhere. This is where we wish we had the friggin' DH because he is so god-awful in the field. And Trevor Williams, of course, is a pitch-to-contact guy. So it's a it's a match made in hell. That is not a good matchup. J.D. Davis in the field, Trevor Williams on the mound. Ugh, I, I I just feel like you gotta roll the dice a little bit here because being safe, as we saw, didn't help us. I, Monday morning quarterback. I understand what I'm doing, but I I also don't know where you put him. I also really don't know where you put him. You can't take out VR. You can't put him in left field because he's god awful out there. I mean, you might as well have a scarecrow out in left field. I really don't know what to do there. It's tough, but I play J.D. somehow,
1: way. I disagree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think there's any way J.D. should have been in the lineup today. I agree it would have been nice to have his bat for a lot of these rallies if he would have been in the middle of the order. Things could have changed, but the Nationals put so many balls in play against Trevor Williams. Nationals had 10 hits in 5 innings, and Trevor Williams only had 3 strikeouts, so the balls were all over the baseball field. Having J.D. Davis in left field is complete liability, and you're giving so much of a better opportunity for all of those balls that are put in play to be either Hits that were out or signals that could have turned into doubles, doubles that could have turned into triples if Jay Davis is playing the outfield. He just he can't play there. He's so bad. The only option would have been to make this be the game if you're timing your sits where Javi Orlandor sits. You move VR and J.D. gets the spot at third. This is something I wish the Mets would have planned for and been proactive earlier in the week. So you could have guaranteed J.D. Davis at bat in the lineup at a spot where he couldn't kill you defensively. And this is where you plan
0: your rest day. We've seen him and Dom go to the wayside. Dom, we understand why. He's not hitting well. He's not good in the field. He just has no spot. J.D., unfortunately, has been swinging the bat somewhat well this year, but he is just, again, such a liability in the field that it's it's hard to get him in there, especially when you have guys who are swinging the bat well or playing
1: defense. Especially in the outfield. Like, third base, you can hide him a little bit, just yes. between shifting, and he has a great arm anyway. That's fine. Outfield, he is like a lost dog. He doesn't do anything well out there at all. It's horrific to watch him play. And there were a lot of balls that Jeff McNeil caught today and got to in left field that J.D. Davis would not have. You know, McNeil's actually a very solid left fielder. I love the way he plays left field, especially
0: if you're a person who thinks Dom Smith's been playing a great left field. Watch Jeff McNeil, who, by the way, isn't even a gold glove left fielder. He's just about average, maybe a little slightly above it, but you can tell he's leaps and
1: bounds better than Dom out there. Definitely, he's plus DRS in left field in his career. He's a fine outfielder, and that was not the reason the Mets lost his game today.
0: Nope, Um, Edwin is scaring me a little bit here. Edwin is starting to worry me a little bit because he blew another save, the command was all over the place, didn't even get out of the inning. The Mets blew it, and of course, who is right at the middle of it, but Andrew friggin' Stevenson. I mean, I have just grown a severe hatred of this man. You shouldn't hate people, but I hate Andrew Stevenson.
1: I despise Andrew Stevenson. If he... Was bleeding out on the street. I would take his watch off his wrist. Oh my god! <laughs> I can't stand this guy. I don't want to ever see him play against the Mets again. I just I
0: can't believe that he's the thorn in our side because he he's just not good. He's just not a good baseball player. But he has figured something out against these New York Mets, and we almost almost caught a break in this game because Alcides Escobar appeared to maybe have slid over home plate on Andrew Stevenson's hit. Upon further review. I think they made the right call. I think it was too close to say that he didn't touch home plate. I think if I was a Nationals fan and they said he didn't and they reversed the call, I think I would have been up in arms furious, as we've seen with my reactions to replay. So I'm not mad at the umpires that they didn't get the call 100% right, maybe. It's an insane call to make. The thing that annoys me is that the Mets can't beat the Nationals. Andrew Stevenson's the guy who beats us. And we just we didn't have a chance to make up some huge ground today because I think the next batter, a hit, game over, Mets lose.
1: A stupid hit, too. A little dinky ground ball at the middle where there was like a miscommunication between yeah Lindor, Lindor so and Baez. So
0: apparently Andrew Stevenson was running on the pitch, I think. Yeah, was. And Vlindor kind of got caught in between whether or not he was going to try and get it and go for two, take it himself, make a toss, go home. It was all over the place. A lot of people weren't happy with it. Some people were like, oh, he didn't even try. Like... Dude, we got three runs against the Nationals, and Edwin Diaz looked like crap in the last inning. It's not his fault why we lost this game. The Mets just can't score
1: runs for some reason. I have a funny stat about Edwin Diaz. All right, hit me. Tweet from Matt Brownstein. Good Twitter follow. Guy just loves tweeting pictures, stats about the Mets. You might write for Mets I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But Edwin Diaz has now blown 17 saves as a Met. In seven of those 17 saves, he either walked the leadoff batter or hit him with a pitch.
0: Yeah, I mean, like like we've said, you can tell from the first batter he faces whether or not it's going to be a good
1: outing. I also want to say something nice about Michael Goodfor though, because on that game uh, tying single, he made a fantastic play one to get to it, and two he picked it on like a very short hop, spun his entire body around, and threw a dart strong to home throw. plate right on the glove to James McCann. It literally couldn't have been more perfect.
0: No, and like again, that was just because hit. Good baseball, good base running. Like there was nothing the Mets could have done in that scenario besides get Andrew the Rat
1: fuck Stevenson out. Definitely, and Conforto did make a bad play. I, I want to say it was the eighth or the ninth. I don't yeah. recall, but he just didn't get to a ball that well in the gap. He got it, he tumbled over, and it gave the Nationals a triple, put the man on third. I think that was the eighth. I'm not positive. I, I believe that was as well. But yeah, again, like not
0: why we lost the game. The Mets just the inability to score, plus Edwin going back a little bit to what we've seen in the past before. It's starting to get scary that the games are really starting to matter and that Edwin's starting to fall apart against the Nationals. Maybe he just hates Washington, D.C. That's a cursed place for Edwin Diaz and the New York Mets. Good thing is, we don't have to go back there the rest of the year.
1: I don't think that's a very good thing because this team sucks. I would love to play them for 30 consecutive more games because I'm sure that we can sneak out a couple of these with their errors, their bloops, their poor bullpen, their created players. This is nonsense that the Mets only won three games of five this series.
0: Super, super disappointing. Super bad, especially when you look at the teams that lost today on Labor Day. The Cardinals lost. The Reds lost. The Phillies won. They smacked the Brewers, which, what the fuck, but... They crushed
1: Woodruff. Yeah,
0: well, Woodruff's been a little shaky since uh, post-sticky stuff. He's had some starts where he's looked a little human, but we're not going to talk too much about that. The Mets had an opportunity to gain some ground on some teams today, and they didn't. They stayed put. We're still, what, four and a half back of the Atlanta Braves in the National League East?
1: Yes, sir. The Mets are four back of the Braves in the National League East. It's
0: just, uh, it's really tough. It's really, really tough that the Mets couldn't, one, take four from the series an opportunity to take five from this series. They really didn't deserve or shouldn't have lost any of these games against the Washington Nationals, but that's just how it goes sometimes. The Mets can't get out of their own way, and we come out of the series only with a 3-2 series win, which is just about almost as bad as it could have been with a positive spin because we still technically won the series, but at what cost?
1: Yeah, you mentioned winning this series a lot during this episode. I don't give a fucking shit about winning this series. No, it to, yeah. to go 4 and 1. Had to go
0: 4 1. Had to go 4 1. But I, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be people out there like, oh, I still won the series. Got to worry about winning every
1: series. No, we got we to gotta win almost every game now. It's just going gonna, gonna to be hard. Now, that's something you say in May and June. We got to just win 2 out of 3. Win 2 out of 3. We've been at a good pace all year. That's not where the Mets are at this season. They have like seven more losses left if they want to make the playoffs. And you can't waste those against the Nationals.
0: Now, luckily for us, uh, the upcoming series here, we're going to Miami. And we know that the Marlins are not a very good team. The pitching matchups, how are we looking, James?
1: No, this is going to be the end of the Mets' uh, nice little hot streak here because, again, we're doing the bang, Nationals, Marlins, Nationals, Marlins, so everyone enjoy these next three games. we got Carlos Carrasco against our friend Edward Cabrera on Tuesday night, probably when you're listening to this. Rich Hill against Sandy Alcantara, again, all these pitchers that we just saw last week on Wednesday. And then Thursday, Marcus Stroman versus Jesus Lazardo. So three, two of those three pitchers we should definitely hit, even though Lazardo did make an adjustment in one of his last few starts and was just destroying people, throwing way more off-speed pitches, and people didn't know what to do anymore, which that's something that's troubling.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we know he has nasty stuff, he's just got to be able to control it, which has been a huge problem for his career. Got to sweep. Got to sweep. We said this with the Nationals, right. we got to take four of five. Now, even more so that we went three and two this series, have to sweep. There is no way about it. If the Mets really want to have a shot here they have to sweep because we got the Yankees coming up got the Cardinals the Brewers we got some tough games coming up here gotta beat the bad teams and unfortunately against the Washington Nationals we didn't do it enough
1: we're 7-3 3 right now in the 10 games we've played so far against the Nationals and Marlins and we said two weeks ago that you had to wind up being 10-3 and on that stretch at worst 9-4 is not getting it done so win these three games just win these three games Yankees in town for a massive Subway series this weekend we gotta be hot going into that gotta be hot and
0: I know the old adage is like one game at a time you gotta just worry about the game in front of you when Mets gotta worry about the rest of the season you gotta just start winning every game you play like there's there's the time's running out I've said it this episode time's running out if this team really wants to make the playoffs you have to start winning games and Please just, like, beat the shit out of a team. I hate that every game in this series at points was close. And I'm not talking, like, oh, the first inning, it's 0-0. It's a close game. Like, no, somehow every time the 8th or 7th inning came around, the Mets were in trouble or it was getting close or it was getting back into the swing of things. So
1: frustrating. Sloppy baseball, dude. A lot of sloppy baseball. There's no time to be playing sloppy baseball right now. You have to play your best ball. The Mets are 500 as we sit here on Labor Day, which is much worse than I thought they would be.
0: 69-69 and record. Nice. I won't say nice. This is the one time... I'll say sixty nine and there will be no nice because this is a shit
1: record. I got you covered with the nice there. That's okay. Also, an interesting note about the series, every single game is starting at six forty. So everyone set your watches thirty minutes ahead because we're gonna get these games going before seven ten. Which I honestly I kinda love it.
0: I kinda love, oh, the I love thirty it.
1: million early start. We should play every game at six forty, even six thirty. I don't know why seven ten is the start time that we use. Prime time, I'm sure it has something to do with that, but
0: We'll be watching these games. We'll be talking about them as always. Now, elephant in the room, Francisco Alvarez interview. Uh, it's coming the next one. I keep doing it to you guys. This is all on me. Tweet at me. James wants it out. I'm home in New Jersey. I don't have the clips on me. We can't upload it now. I just just won't be ready for you guys. And we wanted to make sure that we got this episode out bright and early in the morning because we kept you waiting for the last one. And You guys were getting a little antsy here. You're getting a little restless. So we're getting you episode 47 bright and early in the morning. So you're ready to go.
1: What were you going to say? I was going to say it's my bad for the listeners on the late upload before Labor Day weekend. But guys, played the first game on Thursday night, and I, I had some fun. Couldn't finish the episode after that. Yeah, a little peer into the personal life of the messed up boys. 100%. And I just want everyone to know that I edited almost that entire episode on the train from Manhattan to uh, Point Pleasant, where I spent the weekend. So I'm, I'm working for you guys. We're here We're here for the listeners. It's dedication. So yeah, Alvarez is coming. I
0: also want to give a qu- quick shout-out to our guy, Bobby Bluntz. Uh Hope he's feeling better. He tweeted me on Sunday night, 3 a.m. I think this was at either George and Jackson Williamsburg or the other bar that we went to. He took a picture of the Mets Up sticker in the bathroom. I don't know if he sent you it, but he sent me it at 3 a.m. And then like two hours later, he got in a super bad car accident. Like very, very dangerous, car flipped over and everything. Luckily, everyone he was with is okay. He's okay, just a few cuts and scratches. But, you know, want to give our uh, big support there to Bobby Blunts, who's always been supporting the Mets Up stuff. Good dude. Glad to see he's doing well. And also glad that he saw the sticker somewhere because we'll be throwing them up up everywhere. So if you guys see it, take a picture and send it to us. We'll retweet it. We'll shout you out, whatever you
1: want. Absolutely. Shout out Bobby Blunts, Loyal fan.
0: Loyal fan. That's where we're going to wrap up episode number 47 of the messed up podcast guys. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at draft James at cheater had no range support the podcast, social media as well. Messed up everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. The video version will also be on YouTube under the messed up podcast. So check us out there. Drop us a five-star rating, drop us a review. It really does help grow the podcast to what we've been doing so far, which has been great growth. Really do appreciate all the new listeners, all the fans, everyone giving us great support. Oh, also, one more big shout out. We got our first ever supporter of the podcast on Anchor. Shout out to Matt Franklin, supporting four ninety nine a month to the podcast. We're not in this for the money, but it's it's nice to see that you guys, without even us asking, supported it. So shout out to Matt Franklin, first ever supporter of the podcast. Big shout out to you. Uh, if you want to do that for yourself, there will be a link, I believe, in the description of the podcast. Feel free. Not necessary at all. We just appreciate you guys listening. But
1: that was cool to see. That was really cool. I didn't even know that.
0: Yeah, no, I found it out the other day. I was looking at it. I was like, "Oh, 499 for Matt Franklin. My guy, let's go." So, huge shout out to him. Um and yeah, that's where we're going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll catch you after the Marlin series on episode number 48 of the
1: Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time.